But for context, the talk that I'm sharing this morning is a talk that I shared at Rosedale about eight weeks ago. And Rosedale is the church that I'm working for. It's a similar-ish size to this place. More, I don't know actually, no, very similar, I think. We've got a handful of families and COVID is slowly bringing them back and bringing new families. But it's the same kind of talk. I obviously tweaked it a little bit because Bulney is a different church to Rosedale. But it does feel as though this talk is something I want to share as widely as I can. In fact, I consider it key for the church generally coming out of lockdown, the lockdown world, the COVID world. And coming out of COVID, I do think the church needs to rise up, rise up and take its rightful place. I think for too long the church has been, and sadly from where I can see, becoming more worldly. And this is for varying reasons, there are probably plenty, but one may be that the church doesn't know her identity. And so two things before I start. The first is this is just merely an introduction to what I'd say is a huge topic. Like if you picture a huge, beautiful white loaf of bread, I see this as a nibble of a slice of the bread. I don't even see this as a slice of it. I see it as a little, a little nibble, a little thing that you probably give to a bird and you wouldn't eat. And also, secondly, this may come across quite challenging. I think I've never felt so challenged writing a talk before. There were tears that were wept when I felt God impart this idea. So, are you ready? Are you with me? As we begin to dig deeper as what we consider the church to be when we call it the Bride of Christ. What does it mean for us to be the Bride of Christ? And so, if you've got a Bible, please turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll be from verse 23. So that's Ephesians 5, from verse 23. We're doing 23 to 27. And it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her, her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. And so you may be thinking, I have gone completely crazy. <laughs> Why has Joel got us to read, explore and analyse verses that are based around a relationship between a husband and a wife? How is this relevant? How does he know? He's not even married. He's never had a relationship. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> no, anyway, this is not a feel sorry for Joel. <laughs> But, 
Yes, these verses can be used in revealing what it looks like to be a Christian couple. But the specific focus, as I've said this morning, is how they relate to us as the body, the church. Jesus being the bridegroom and us being the bride. And so verse 23, it says, Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. We are not the saviour here. You are not the saviour. Jesus is the saviour. He is the head of the church. But what do we think of when we think of the word church? Do we think building? Do we think people? Do we think a cathedral? And I'll never forget when COVID first happened in 2020, in the March lockdown, I think there was a real shift among Christians in understanding what the church was. I think we'd been surrounded by the narrative that said, oh, the church is the building. The church is where you go on a Sunday. And in fact, I clearly remember Nicky Gumbel, the pioneer of the Alpha Course, saying a few days after the first lockdown that the church is not the building, it is the people inside. And I remember it was met with gasps of amazement. It was, <gasps> and comments affirming this revelation. And I don't want to discount what Nikki put, because I think Nikki put it at a time where the church needed to hear it. But hasn't it always meant to be that? Why did it take someone like him to say it? Surely we all should have known that all along. That's what challenged me anyway. But we, as the people of God, recognise that we are the church. We are the precious bride of Christ. That will one day be united with her bridegroom. Jesus Christ, the Saviour. And what a beautiful day that will be. And the word Paul uses for church within this Ephesians passage is in classical Greek, a word which is meant by an assembly of citizens summoned by the crier. And by New Testament times, the word was used to represent any group of people assembled together for a particular purpose. Interestingly, it does not refer specifically to a religious gathering or building. It is... A, citizen, a group of citizens, an assembly of citizens, summoned by the crier. Jesus is the crier in this situation. And our purpose is to be a united people that are Christ-centred. And I think this is something Bolney do very well. From what I can see, you are a very united people. But doesn't your heart ache for the church more widely? When you see churches fall apart over, at the end of the day, tiny things. Those disagreements, those little roots that become big roots. And those little problems that become big problems. And it's interesting, Jesus never viewed the church as a building, a place or an organisation. But rather as that assembly or gathering of people that was called to him. For instance, the Bible never speaks of going to church because the church is the people, not the place. We don't read in the Bible of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John going to church on a Sunday. 
I think they understood the church's identity. And I remember the, so where I went to university, I went to university in Cheltenham, and went to a great Church of England church, and I'll never forget what we would take before communion. Like, you can almost read it as a script, the liturgy. But it said, though we are many, we are one body, because we all share in one bread. And as I said, we can so easily say stuff like that, like a script. We can memorise it. I remember my pastor at the time, he didn't even have to look at it. He could memorise it. And I don't think there's any bad thing in him memorising it, but maybe we lose the power, the power of the liturgy when we actually realise what we are saying. That though we are many, there are more than one of us in this room, we are one body, because we all share in one bread. When you said yes to Jesus, and maybe you haven't said yes to Jesus yet, But when you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to the local church, you say yes to Bolney Village Chapel, but you're also saying yes to the global church too. And so we should care about the state of the church. We should care about where it's going. And verse 25, we read about just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The love that is spoken about here is agape. Agape love. And that is love that comes from the heart, the deepest spaces and places. The highest form of love, that the, the love that God has for man and that man should have for God. And Dad and I had the privilege of going to the New Wine Leaders Conference in March, the beginning of March. And there was a guy called Glenn Packian who did the first sessions. And one of the quotes from what he said was, our first calling is not to a purpose, but to a person. Our first calling is not to a purpose, but to a person. Isn't it interesting how churches are always like, I do this, I do that, we do this, we do that. We reach these people, we reach those people. And I'm not saying they're bad at all. But Jesus should be our first calling. It should be out of the overflow of loving Jesus, but we serve those around us. It shouldn't be, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna love these people, and then, and then love Jesus. It should be, I love Jesus, so I love these people. We can get the order mixed up, I think. And so, just an imagination exercise. So, if you want to be part of this, if you want to close your eyes, we're just gonna, Spend some time doing a little imagination thing. You don't have to. But I'd like you to picture a beautiful church. The most beautiful, don't know what you think of when you think beautiful church. I think traditional, kind of St. Mary's style look. (coughs) And there are loads of people inside. The church is full. And it's a beautiful wedding. There is that atmosphere of something amazing is going to happen. You look around you, everybody's dressed in their best. And to the front of the church, you notice the bridegroom looking smart. He's wearing his best suit. He's looking incredibly handsome. And then the moment comes for the bride to come through the door. 
everybody stands to their feet. Everybody stands to their feet in anticipation and excitement for what is going to happen. But then we see that as the bride begins to walk down the aisle, she is not looking at the bridegroom. She is distracted. Her attention is diverted. She begins to put her attention on other men in the church. She begins to flirt with other men in the church. She gives a smirk to one, a wink to another, and yet she still doesn't look at her bridegroom. And so you can open your eyes. But isn't that a horrible picture? (coughs) If I was to ever go to a wedding where that happened, I think my heart would break. To see what you expect to happen, not to happen, and the complete opposite happens. But I think that picture, though it hurts us and offends us, it signifies the truth. The church, the bride of Christ, has been distracted. It has been disrupted. It has flirted with other men, flirted with the things of the world. We have been too affectionate with the world. And I'm speaking for myself here as much as I am to you. But we lose sight of the fact that our first love always should have been and always should be Jesus. Are we looking at our bridegroom or are we distracted by other things? Disrupted by other things, diverted by other things? even by other people. And where the enemy would seek to steal our attention, kill our intimacy and destroy our relationships with one another, it will often begin with that one another. And that will lead to our our attention being stolen. from. We would not pay attention to Jesus. We would not want to get intimate with Jesus. Our relationship with Jesus would be fractured, would be broken. All of our thoughts, all of our words and all of our actions as the body of Christ need to be Christ-centred, need to be Christ-orientated, need to be Christ-led. And maybe we need to recalibrate ourselves even this morning. Because Jesus is kind enough to say, let's try again. But our first love should be Jesus. Always should have been. Setting our minds on the things above involves a conscious effort. And 1 John John 4.19 We can only love because he loved us first. If we get on the boat of thinking, yes, I love Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I love him well. Yeah. We need to step back and realise we only love because he loved us first. We are pursuing the one who has always been pursuing us. We are saying yes to the one who said yes to us when he made us in his image. And I think when we look at it like that, our yes suddenly seems so small. 
Jesus' yes was, yes, I love you this much. Why is our yes so often this much? And what are we giving our attention to? What are we, the church, doing in expressing our love for Jesus? Ultimately, our eternal bridegroom. And we are called to live a life of loving Jesus together as a body, as one, on a daily basis. And this ties in with the imagery Paul is using within this portion of scripture, the marriage imagery. And a quote about marriage and being married is, a husband and wife may disagree on many things, but they must absolutely agree on this, to never, ever give up. And so, when mum and dad split up, that was the most painful time of my life. I will never tell you otherwise. In fact, so painful that I would never go back there. If someone said, well, would you like to go back and act differently? I don't think I could face the pain of going back there, let alone changing anything. And I think it was watching the deterioration of that relationship. And I think when I reflect on it, it was the lack of togetherness. But where I grew up seeing my parents so strong as mum and dad, there became a lack of togetherness, of that oneness. And that even that time for one another. And human marriages are heartbreaking when they end. Imagine the heartbreak of Jesus. If we, as his bride, refuse togetherness with him. If we, as the bride, keep on sinning. If we, as the bride, keep on judging. If we, as the bride, keep on gossiping. Yes, his love is greater than any earthly love. Imagine his heart. That heart that has only wanted what is best for us, and yet we choose to go our own way. In fact, I spoke at a youth camp last summer, and I was explaining about sin to the youth. I basically said, sin is when God's over here, giving us a hug, and we choose to turn our back on that and go our own way. Sin is basically going our own way over God's way. And marriage involves wholehearted commitment on mutual sides. Jesus has been wholehearted in his commitment to us. We need to show wholehearted commitment to him. And wholehearted means committed, means devoted, it means dedicated, it means enthusiastic, unshakable, unflinching, unswerving, constant, Loyal. Jesus has done this perfectly. Jesus has revealed to us what commitment looks like. And Jesus doesn't give up on you. And where you might be tempted to give up on you this morning, he doesn't give up on you. That can so often be the greatest battle. We are our own worst enemy. But Jesus gave himself up for her. He gave himself up for us, his bride. 
and Jesus reveals to us the essence of wholehearted commitment and obedience. And we read in Philippians 2, verses 6 to 8, that who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And in those verses we realise what commitment and obedience looks like. That the one who was and is God chose to become a servant. He chose to die, and not just to die, but to die on a cross. The way in which the worst criminals would be punished. But why why did he do that? And one of the reasons why Jesus chose to die on that cross, we find in verse 26 of Ephesians 5, which is to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. The Old Testament commandment, be holy for I am holy. That commandment hasn't changed. A lot of the songs we sang this morning are about holiness and how holy God is. We need to realise the holiness of God again. And God is saying that he wants us to be like him because he is life and life in all its fullness. That we would not be of the world but for it, speaking and sharing life as the bride to all of those that surround us. And we are not just made holy either, we are cleansed. And when I was looking at the term by the washing with water through the word, the American pastor Chuck Swindle writes, Just as clear, fresh water cleanses our bodies, God's written word washes us clean, deep, down inside our souls. It purifies our thoughts, scrubs, our motives, and cleans our conscience as we absorb it and obey its truths. As the body of Christ, the church, the bride of Christ, we are to remain rooted in the word. That it would be and become more and more the foundation beneath our feet. That we would present ourselves, we find in verse 27, we would present ourselves to him as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And I love that wording radiant church that we would be and become more radiant more distinctive different from the world and beacons of light in our local community that Bonny Village Chapel would be known for being radiant wouldn't that be such a cool thing for people to say about the church that you belong to the group of people you worship with yes it's radiant Maybe chucking it down with rain like it always does in England, but our church is radiant. That on a Sunday morning, it would be seen as an equipping and empowering set-apart time 
before going out into our world. Knowing that we have brothers and sisters in the Lord who want to champion and encourage us. Whilst going out in the empowerment and equipping that comes from knowing that our Jesus, our Saviour, is wholly committed to us. And we are to say a daily wholehearted yes to him. And it can be that simple. It can be I say yes to you this morning. That as lovers of Jesus we will become lovers of his bride. In fact, there's that saying that I love Jesus but I hate the church. I don't think you can do that. (laughs) I don't think you can love one without the other. Because we read in this Ephesians passage just how much Jesus loved and loves his church. 